Talks Muppeturgy with a very special episode about the Ben Vereen episode of The Muppet Show. Hey everyone, welcome back to Muppeturgy. I'm so glad you're here. I'm David Levy. Here with me today are... Christy Bauer. Michal Richardson. And Adam Grossworth. On our last episode, we were talking about the weirdness of the show order and our show order. And David, I don't actually know if this made it into the final cut, but David uh, casually said, oh, we should have watched the Sandy Duncan episode again in this order. And so I did. And you know what? It's still great. Um, (laughs) We've been sort of complaining about things getting a little bit repetitive. So I am here to say that uh, the Sandy Duncan episode breaks that up a little bit, which you all probably know, because if you're watching along with us, you watched it in this order. Um, but just a couple things that it does really well. It, Sandy is first with a, one of our favorite numbers, a Nice Girl Like You, instead of Kermit talking about how great she is and then introducing something else entirely. There's no panel. The sketch is weird, but um, really fun. We really liked it. Um, and it just avoids a lot of the sort of repetitiveness that we have been complaining about of late. Of course, none of that matters because this is not the order that anyone watching in 1976 and 1977 actually watch the show in, but it is the order on the DVDs and it is the order on Disney plus. So I guess it's the order that it lives on in now. So yay, Sandy Duncan still awesome. This episode is not Sandy Duncan. It is the Ben Vereen episode of the Muppet show. It was taped October 4th through 7th, 1976, and it aired in New York on January 24th, 1977. It was the 17th episode made and the 15th aired in New York. To introduce our guest star, that's what I'm here to do. So it really makes me happy to introduce to you... Ben Vereen. Dancer, singer, actor. Unfortunately, his legacy was tarnished a few years ago with a sexual harassment scandal. And I want to talk about this first because as someone who grew up as a Ben Vereen fan, it's really cast a shadow over the way I think about him now. And I want to get this out of the way and then we'll talk about where he came from and how he got to there. So in 2015, he directed a production of Hair in the suburbs of Tampa, Florida. And then in 2018, as the Me Too movement made it marginally safer for victims to speak out about their experiences, a number of cast members reported incidents of Vereen abusing his position of power to put them in uncomfortable positions, making disparaging remarks about them, and in a couple of cases, luring them into coercive sexual experiences, described in the press as molestation and non-consensual kissing. Ben Vereen did issue an apology to this, which, frankly, I found rather lacking. Uh, We're going to include a link to it in the show notes, so you can be the judge of that. I'm not going to read it here. He appears to have suffered no real professional repercussions from the situation, and that's kind of a bummer. Now, with that said, Ben Vereen was born in North Carolina, but grew up in Brooklyn, attending the High School of Performing Arts, where his dance talent was nurtured by some of the top choreographers of the day. Upon graduating, he made his stage debut off-off-Broadway in The Prodigal Son at the Greenwich Muse Theater. And soon, he was cast in the Las Vegas production of Sweet Charity, directed by Bob Fosse and starring Muppet Show guest star Julia Prowse. Uh, He then went on to tour in Sweet Charity before joining the Broadway company of Hair, first as an understudy in the role of HUD, and eventually in the leading role of Claude. Fosse then cast him in the film of Charity, where he struck up a friendship with Sammy Davis Jr., who then took him to England for a tour in the eventual West End production of Golden Boy. 1971, he was back on Broadway as Judas in the original Company of Jesus Christ Superstar, and this was really his star-making role. He was nominated for a Tony Award, and then the following year, in 1972, he teamed up again with Fosse, creating the role of the leading player in Pippin, and he won the Tony. 1975, he appeared opposite Barbara Streisand in Funny Lady, 
That same year, he starred in a summer replacement variety show on TV called Ben Vereen, Coming At Ya, which also featured Muppet Show guest stars Avery Schreiber and Lola Falana as regulars. Uh, following his appearance on The Muppet Show, he would continue to perform on stage in film and in television. Highlights include the miniseries Roots, alongside Muppet guest stars Sandy Duncan and Leslie Uggams. Uh, he had a recurring role in the sitcom Webster, and he was the lead of the children's program Zoobly Zoo. And memory does a funny thing, because if you would ask me, I would have sworn the Zoobly Zoo came before Webster, but it did not. And of course, he was in the film All That Jazz. Uh, he's been back to Broadway many, many times, including replacement stints in Chicago, Fosse, and Wicked, which I saw him in. He was the wizard. 1992, Ben Vereen was hit by a car. And this is such a weird story. Uh, so it turned out that it was driven by superstar record producer David Foster. At the time, there was a huge question as to whether it would end Vereen's career as a dancer. But after months of rehabilitation, he was able to resume performing. Then it later came out that the accident actually saved his life. So as it turned out, Ben Vereen had suffered an accident earlier in that day when his car hit a tree, causing him to bang his head on the roof of the car and suffer a stroke, which he didn't realize. So that's why he was wandering around in the dark on the Pacific Coast Highway. And so after he got hit by David Foster's car, he was taken to the hospital, and the doctors discovered that he had this brain injury, and they were able to intervene just in the nick of time and save his life. It also turns out that this was the incident that really caused him to get clean, like many performers of his generation. The 70s were a drug and alcohol-fueled fantasia, and it really wasn't until this sort of come-to-Jesus moment in 1992 that I believe he got clean. And after that, he went on to commit quite a bit of his time and talent to raising money for charities that help those struggling with addiction. As I mentioned at the top of the segment, he's still performing today, mostly doing club dates. Uh, he's recorded a handful of albums over the years, most recently Steppin' Out Live, which preserves his club act, uh, which came out in 2010. And that is Ben Vereen. I did not see him in Wicked, but I did get to see him in Fosse, which was pretty remarkable to get to see him, you know, doing Fosse choreography live um, much later in life. And when when people like he and Anne Ryan King went into that show, they usually did not do their signature roles. Of course, they were much older, um, so they had him do uh, other things, and uh, it was it was pretty great. I did want to talk about um, Kermit's intro of Ben Vereen. To the Muppet Show. Hey, our special guest tonight is a young man who soared to stardom on Broadway in Pippin, had his own television series, and is one of the really multi-talented performers in show business, Mr. Ben Vereen. He really moves, and speaking of that, let's get things moving right now on the Muppet Show. This is also the second week in a row that um, he has referred to the guest as young man. Um, in this case, it's true, Ben Vereen is 30, unlike Avery Schreiber, who was in his 40s. Um, I am also in my 40s, so there's not any kind of shade. But um, I just find it very patronizing, and it makes me also really wonder how old Kermit is supposed to be. <laughs> I just find it really weird. There's also been like a real stretch of uh, these last few episodes of Kermit saying, our guests are so amazing, he's so great, he's fantastic, and now something else, which is what I fully thought was happening here. It's kind of what was happening here. It's, it is kind of what was happening. We'll We'll get into it in a minute. Christy, what are your overall impressions this week? Man, season one <laughs> fatigue has set in for me, y'all. <laughs> it set in a little later for me than for some of you guys, but why are we still getting Richard Hunt's piggy? 
why are these musical numbers so weird and aimless? Why are we in a beige street with beige outfits? And why are there muppophones floating in the air? Like, ugh. Yeah, I I just, this episode is not bad. It's just kind of weird. Ben Vereen has weird energy to reconcile with the Muppets. Mm-hmm. Like something about the episode in general feels off to me. And I can't quite put my finger on it. It's like a, the, a recipe where the proportions are off. Like it's quaaludes. The, yeah, probably. <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's just like, you know, all the individual ingredients are there, but maybe there's like too much paprika or quaaludes. Yeah. If the Muppets are going to be on drugs, it, ne- it needs to be an upper, not a yes. downer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's going to sound the more we talk, like I liked this episode less than I did <laughs> overall. I enjoyed this episode um, partly because it does, it did break up a lot of the rut that I've been feeling. And I certainly liked it a lot better than the last couple episodes that we have talked about, but it does with one extremely notable exception that we will get to. It has that problem that we've talked about before where like, the Muppets are sort of incidental to Ben Vereen's presence and vice versa, right? He performs near the Muppets. Mm. The Muppets perform around him. In spite of the Muppets. Yeah. And I think that's really a problem on the Muppet show because the Muppet show can exist without a, without a human. But if the human is there to perform alone, then what, what are we doing here? But that said, I think I enjoyed it more than you guys did based on some of the conversations we've had off mic. Um, Michal, how about you? <laughs> I actually also enjoyed this episode. I think it might have helped that because we recorded Sandy Duncan earlier in the year, we had a couple of weeks off from whatever season one fatigue we were experiencing. Because <laughs> I I enjoyed a lot of parts of this. Um, the, the musical numbers and the Ben Vereen bits were fine, but we all know that what I'm here for is bad jokes joyfully and artfully delivered. And I definitely got my fix in this episode. And I also, I I appreciated that there was a frenetic energy to the backstage plot because we've had at this point, a few occasions of Muppets or guest stars saying like, Oh, it's so wacky around here. There are no humans. There are frogs and dogs and bears and chickens. That's so strange. And the, the Muppets are working really hard to live up to what they've been advertising about themselves, about things being weird and silly. And even if they'll do a better job of getting there in later seasons, I appreciate that they're working for it. And the the season one fatigue, which I, I have mentioned in recent pre-Sandy Duncan episodes, it had been setting in. And even though there are just more of the same bits in this episode, I enjoyed them more, whether it's because they were better or because we got a little break or both. I'm not sure, but it felt funnier this week. So good job, season one. You're doing your best. David, how about you? Yeah, I think if you take out the Ben Vereen parts, it's an excellent episode. It's maybe the best veterinarian's hospital we've seen so far. It's a great Rolf sketch. It's a great Wayne and Wanda, etc. The backstage plot, I think, has a better rhythm than they've had in other weeks. And then when Ben Vereen's there, it's, uh, you know. And I find, like... The more interesting the Muppets who are in the number with Ben Vereen, the more I'm willing to go with it. And so we'll talk about that more when we talk about the songs. But, uh, you know, there's definitely a scale from like, you know, 
beige to colorful and, and the more colorful numbers work better for me. So as befits uh, an episode with a Broadway star as the guest star, we have a lot of music. Our very first number features Ben Vereen, but not as a singer, just as a dancer. At the heebie-jeebies, you can dance away To the boogie-woogie music The piano man will play And you can jump, jump, jump Knock yourself out Boogie-woogie beat is what I'm talking about You can pull a switch your rooney If you felt yourself down With the boogie-woogie beat of the piano man I'm going to town Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Ben Marie This is a song called Jump Shout Boogie It's uh, originally a Barry Manilow song and this, I believe, is the newest song yet, because it appeared on an album called This One's For You that was released in August of 1976. So it was extremely fresh at this point. And uh, it was written by Barry Manilow and Bruce Sussman. Now, Bruce Sussman uh, is not the lyricist of uh, the nice boy like you, nice girl like you from the Sandy Duncan episode. Um that guy uh, is named Enoch Anderson. And uh, as you may recall, he is a community college professor who shows too many movies. Apparently Um, this is a different guy. Uh, Bruce Sussman is a a lyricist who still to this day works with Barry Manilow. Barry Manilow's got a couple of different lyricists that he works with regularly. One is Bruce Sussman and the other is Jack Feldman. And uh, according to Wikipedia, they've written 206 songs together, which I thought was very exact. Wow. Um, and uh, that includes a uh, Copacabana, which was actually co-written with uh, Jack Feldman. Um, but they've also together written the s- songs for uh, the movies uh, Thumbelina and the Pebble and the Penguin. And uh, have written musical theater uh, together, including uh, the musical Harmony, which has tried to make its way to, to Broadway. It never has. <laughs> it was announced for New York again right before the shutdown. So, and the first time was like we'll, a whole scandal and a story that we won't get into here, but yeah, right. But it, Google it, it, but I suspect maybe we'll see it in the next year or two, maybe. So, uh, yeah, so the, the setup of this number in this episode so uh, weird. is really strange, um, because it, it's like a it's not really a, a sock hop it's because it's more late 40s um but it's it's sort of like a like a dance situation but it's primarily performed by a muppet called the two-headed singer which it is exactly what it sounds like it's a, like a whatnot muppet with two heads and uh, but there's no reason like we <laughs> none and yeah. every other muppet is just like a normal person muppet yeah like a whatnot <laughs> not like a, not the creepy humans but the right 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 yeah it's I mean, so they're bizarre. the show, right? Everybody every- else is a normal, what not human, and these guys are the act. But they're not really on. Like Rolf is on stage, but behind them, and then Ben Vereen is also behind them, so no one is watching him dance. Oh, I'm not saying it makes sense. I know. I'm, I'm just, just I'm trying just, to make know, it we're, make we're sense. Medium, so I'm explaining it to our audience. <laughs> and then on the on the lyric, um, "Knock yourself out," they the couples dancing bonk their heads together and fall down, which is very literal. It's just weird. Everything about it feels very thrown together at the last minute. It all felt, well, the set is definitely the Electric Mayhem set that we've seen many times now. Um, slightly redressed and very relit. So yes, to to, to to go with your thrown together. But idea. also, 
like to to have Ben Vereen there and not have him sing like this feels like you know he already had he'd hit his quota of numbers he was going to sing but they still needed to throw one more in there and he's like well I mean I could just like get up and do a weird dance yeah yeah like even the dance feels improvised it's really bizarre yeah I kept looking for the choreographer credit on this episode and I did I watched three times and looked through the credits very carefully every yep. time and did not see anybody credited as the choreographer. So I, does that mean that Ben Vereen was just winging it? It was the hat rack. Yeah. And the DVD has a different version of the credits and there is no choreographer credited there either. I uh, am generally, I generally don't do research in the music. I'm very happy for Christy to tell me <laughs> what's happening and to learn uh, while we record. I, <laughs> You know the scene in Dreamgirls where um, the white singers steal their song, <laughs> Cadillac Car? Yes. That's what I thought was happening here. <laughs> and I went and Googled it and was shocked that it was a Barry Manilow song, which I don't mean as a credit to Barry Manilow. No. It's just like, it's so cheesy and it's performed so cheesily. And I, I, I found the whole thing so cringy that I was like, what song are they murdering? <laughs> and I Googled it and I was like, oh, no, it was written this way. Okay, it's fine. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it also, this this had me going down the, the rabbit hole of looking into when 50s nostalgia as an industry started. Because this is, it, you know, juxtaposed against that weird. Because again, it, it, it is more 40s nostalgia than 50s nostalgia. But it also has that whiff of... Uh, well, American Graffiti was 1973, so right. we were definitely in the middle of it here. Yeah. And Grace had, Grace was on stage at this point, right? Yeah. 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 The whole thing felt very Sesame Street to me, <laughs> with the little dancing and whatnots. Yeah. Christy, were you going to say that it had, it had a whiff of 50s nostalgia in the way that 50s television was presenting every American as white and middle class and squeaky clean? Oh, I hadn't thought about it that way, but yeah, no, that, that is also a, a, a quite astute observation. Because it, it does feel strange to say, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Mr. Ben Vereen, and then he just magically appears on screen and does a little yeah. leg wiggling thing, and then that's that's his bit here, and like, there to entertain. A ways it, into the song, off. too. Yeah. yeah. He it, wasn't it, really part of it. It does feel like a Sesame Street number, except the only thing that it's teaching is that drugs are bad. <laughs> <laughs> and so is this song. The um, the Muppet morsels in this episode were really grasping because there's not a lot to say, I think, about the numbers, like the puppetry and any of that. Um, and, for, and I did not rewind... <laughs> DVDs are an antiquated technology, you guys. And so sometimes I'll go back and sometimes I'm like, I just don't care. Um, and during this number, they decided to tell me that Sammy Davis Jr. and Jim Henson died on the same day. Wow. Wow. And, and, and I was like, and actually I did go back. I was like, is there a connection to the song that made you bring that up? No, no. Okay. Like, it's just the most Weird. random David Davis Jr. helped foster Ben Vereen's career. Yes, I think that's where it was coming from, but I did not understand why it was being being brought up in this moment. And it was part of my general confusion about the song. And then I Googled the song and I just became further confused. Had the morsels mentioned Sammy Davis Jr. or this was just totally out of the blue? I 
I suspect in my lack of rewinding far enough that, that they, yes, they brought up the factoid that David just brought up and I missed it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but yes, it, it's sometimes the, the DVD doesn't want to rewind far enough for me to get something and I just give up. Great. And none of us are going to go back and look at the DVDs. Nope. So we're all just going to live with this. I promise you I'm not. Listeners, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> so our, our next number is a pretty classic show tune. Right. So this is Mr. Cellophane from Chicago. This is the second number f- from Chicago that we've gotten. Uh, our first one was Razzle Dazzle in the, the Joel Gray episode. And interestingly, in the uh, Broadway revival of Chicago, which is incidentally the longest running American musical production of all time, Joel Gray uh, performed Mr. Cellophane. <laughs> um, and Ben Vereen eventually joined that production and performed Razzle Dazzle. <laughs> Did he? Yeah. He did. It was in Vegas. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and and he did the tour. At some point in his life in some geographic location. <laughs> so curiously, I uh happened completely coincidentally to watch the Chicago movie a couple of days prior to preparing for this episode. And the way in which Mr. Cellophane is presented in the Chicago movie really like smacked of like minstrelsy to me. I had never made that connection with this song. So I did a little, little bit of digging and I realized the more I thought about it, that this song uh, is a pastiche of nobody like down to like structurally it, it is. If you really start listening to them side by side, it's like, Oh, oh, this is nobody. So interestingly, I think this is the first song that we've had that was a pastiche of another song that we've already seen. How's that for trivia night? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Ben Vereen, actually, uh, to close the loop on the nobody connection, has performed in a couple of different productions, presentations, uh, in tribute to Burt Williams, uh, complete with the, the, the minstrel get up and most notoriously he did a performance at Reagan's inauguration in 1981 in blackface. And it, it was really sort of controversial and it only part of it was aired. It, it's the, the story is fascinating because he actually uh, did this performance in, in blackface and uh, of a different song. And then in the second half of the performance, he like removed the blackface as he performed nobody. And that was the part that didn't make it to television. So, so yeah, so there, there's a lot of uh, echoes of, uh, of, of the past and vaudeville, but weirdly the way in which the number is presented in the episode <laughs> is just, it's weird and boring. <laughs> <laughs> because accurate yeah well yeah. i mean the whole point of it is that he's 
<laughs> being ignored. Yeah, he's boring and he's being ignored by the Muppets. And when that's a character beat in the show Chicago, you care about Amos. Yeah. And when it's not, you don't. <laughs> it's just kind of no dull. Context. With no context, it's just a guy on the street being ignored. He's one of these performers who this, I think is the first time I've seen him like without a director. I mean, obviously there's a director for the episode, but clearly he is sort of left to his own device to come up with his shtick for this. And very reminiscent of say mid nineties, Mandy Patinkin. He just kind of throws everything at the wall. And so there's, there's no real shape to the number. And like, suddenly he's doing Jolson and suddenly he's doing sort of like bad Fosse. It's like when he doesn't have Fosse there to yell at him to actually like make the move sharp, they just sort of, he does like the poses, but doesn't actually get the sense of it. And like, it's just, it's like a little bit of this and a little bit of that and none of it gels and none of it builds. And it's just, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. At one point there's a, there's a dance break, but he's still vocalizing and he fully forgets to lip sync. <laughs> Just nothing. Um, it's just sloppy. Um, and I noticed that that Jolson moved too, which I, I'm sure didn't originate with Jolson, but like that's also who I associate it with. And and to go back to the minstrelsy point, like it, it's weird to see him do that in this number. It is. It is weird and uncomfortable. It's it's not as astonishing as watching the the blackface performance from 1981. No, but it is still unnerving to watch because it does have the same or at least similarly clownish movements. It's, it's unsettling to look at. Not unsettling to look at. I do want to just talk about the set here for a minute. Um, But also again, why it's a street set again, very Sesame street in a literal way. It's a bunch of, it's a bunch of brownstone stoops and it's extremely tall. I mean, it's fake. It's a painting. But like the the opening shot of it is from a low angle, and so we can see how fake tall it is for no reason. <laughs> because it's simultaneously they don't... elaborate and boring. Right. It's all beige, but they also don't use the height at all. It's the establishing shot, and then I think it's the closing shot, and then we literally never see the height again. It's not well, used in any way. The idea is that it 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 helps you feel like he is, he is small, small and sure. insignificant. But also like there's no Muppets in the windows. There's no, they just don't use it. And I just found it very odd to have, to have bothered. I'm not sure what would have been useful for this song because kind of the point is he's wearing beige and vanishing into this beige back background. And eventually he does in fact vanish into the background. So it's if, if he had been, wearing too much color or if there had been too much production around him and too many Muppets singing with him, it would defeat the purpose of the song. But there's still something that doesn't make sense here with Muppets just standing around and him just doing his own choreography. I I think you're right. It needed more direction. This is where like a chroma key situation would have been useful Mm -hmm. (laughs) to, to have like, framed it as a, a thing where he's he keeps like literally vanishing in front of people's eyes i mean you know it's it's a very sort of facile surface reading of the text but you know that that's also kind of a hallmark of the muppet show yeah but this could have been more muppet again more interesting alas alas 
so our UK spot uh, should be familiar to uh, piano playing children and Schroeder stands worldwide. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, this is uh, Beethoven's uh, Furelis, officially known as Bagatelle Number no. Twenty Five in A Minor, and the Elise is sort of apocryphal. Nobody really knows who she was, um, but yet that is the the name that is popularly known under. And th- this bit is just Ralph playing the piano, and it's great. <laughs> it's really fun. Yeah. Ralph is my favorite Muppet of the week. That's it's fun to just watch him play and like goof up a little bit, but mostly just be an enthusiastic piano player. I'm into it. This gave me big Victor Borga vibes. Say that three times fast. Yeah. Right. <laughs> big Victor. But you can Borga. almost see Ralph doing a concert tour where he, you know, plays a little piano, tells a couple jokes, plays a little more piano, sells some DVDs on PBS pledge breaks. Oh man, I would love to see that. Although the thought of seeing Rolf on a concert stage where you would have to see his bottom half while he's playing the piano was very upsetting. (laughs) I definitely had questions about the piano this week because from certain angles, it looks like a full-size piano, but when he's Mm -hmm. actually playing, it is absolutely not a full-size piano. So there is a candelabra on this piano with actual fire and it, is super wobbly and it made me so anxious. (laughs) Like I assume that it was taped down a little. Once a stage manager, always a stage manager. It was not taped down enough. (laughs) I was so uncomfortable. They're puppets. Yeah. They're made of very flammable things. And presumably so is the piano. I mean, yeah. And like the, we know where the people are, like it's going to land on somebody's head. If it falls, I I didn't like it at all. There's a gif in the show notes. If you are my age, uh, Fear Elise, while I understand it is a important piece of classical music is a McDonald's commercial forever in which, um, a little girl doesn't want to do her piano recital. And so her parents say that afterwards they can go to McDonald's. Oh, I wish I were already there instead of here playing this song. Oh, I would have a big chocolate shake, a cheeseburger, and also, whoops, also fries. And I would eat my fries myself and not give any to my dumb brother. Hands off and mine off. It's even kind of the same bit where Rolf messes up a couple times. That's really adorable. I've never heard that before. They played it incessantly. <laughs> and that song has lyrics. That piece of music has lyrics. Those are the lyrics. <laughs> I will never forget them. My primary uh, pop culture association with it is uh, Charlie Bond Christmas. But apparently in Taiwan, uh, garbage trucks play it. Uh, there's a really great episode of the 99% Invisible podcast about it. We'll put it in the show notes. But uh, but yeah, it's in in Taiwan they <laughs> they literally associate it with trash. That's delightful. <laughs> My primary association with it, um, aside from Schroeder and 
having played it as a kid, is that there is an album from 1993 called Old Brown Years is Back, where Rolf just plays an entire album and makes little jokes. And that's what I want a concert version of. Rolf plays a song as an introduction to another song called Eight Little Notes and does this little joke that he says it's called for Elise. And I don't know who he wrote it for, which is cute, but I, I kept waiting for him to make that joke. And here he just played it with a little bit of mistakes, but mostly just played it straight. Yeah, same. That's uh, that's exactly what was in my head. And I like this sketch. I mean, I love this sketch, but I kept feeling like the joke density was a little low. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's because it's a UK sketch. <clears throat> so our friends, the Muppet Morsels, took this moment to tell us the UK spots were purposely very English in their origin. Were they? <laughs> <laughs> like this one, sure, although not really. I mean, it's Austrian. It's Beethoven. Very perplexed by that statement, and I had to share with you all. I'm also perplexed by a statement on Muppet Wiki about this bit. Uh, They said, uh, Ralph chose this as his piano solo for the UK spot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Citation needed, my friends. It's implied, I guess. So Wayne and Wanda once again grace us with their presence. I'll know when my love comes along. Ay, 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 ay. I just fucking love that. I do too. <laughs> it's this song really well, which is not usually the case with Wayne and Wanda. And it started, and I was like, where is this going? What tragedy will befall them? And I, so I was not expecting that. It's, <laughs> and it's literally great. that meme. Yes. The- it's distracted. <laughs> I want but this Aaron as a meme. Oscar's rendition of just Wayne is so perfect. It's uh. pretty great. And she makes the little squishy face just like Hilda does. I want this distracted boyfriend meme. <laughs> uh, it's so good. We, we, we should make it. We'll, we'll make it and we'll, we'll put it up somewhere. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so uh, this is from Guys and Dolls, which is uh, by Frank Lesser. And, you know, anytime Frank Lesser comes up, I have to pledge my undying love and affection. Uh, And, uh, yeah, the the previous Frank Lesser entry was uh, Inchworm. That's all I've got on this particular number. Uh, (laughs) The Morsels uh, informed us that this is a slightly revised Sam the Eagle doing the intro on this. His, His head has been revised they have said, and he's slightly bluer. I noticed no difference, but I thought I would share yet again. Yeah, I also keep looking. I'm, I'm distracted at the thought of Sam saying, my face has been revised. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so our final number is unfortunately one of my favorite songs. <laughs> also, just to set up the clip a little bit, begins with an appearance by one of our favorite Muppets. I hate it here. It's so dull. <sighs> hi, Drew. Oh, hi, Ben. <laughs> hey, look. I can take you out of this place. Oh, no, thanks. I'm not allowed to cross the street. Oh, no, no, that's not what I mean. Huh? Listen. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. 
take a look and see into your imagination. It's Droop. <laughs> I mean, it's Droop forever. It's hard to to be mad at Droop. I'm not mad at Droop. Um, <laughs> You're just disappointed. <laughs> I just again, it, it's the the ingredients in the soup are just off somehow, and I think maybe it's the extra dash of drugs. So yeah, mm. so this is pure imagination um, from from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory which uh, was from 1971. So new-ish at this point. Um, this is also an Anthony Newley and Leslie Brickus song. And the second one we've encountered. And uh, the first one was Look at That Face in the Candace Bergen episode. So the, the setup of the song is really sweet. Droop is very sad. And Ben, ben Vereen shows up and uh, explains to him that with imagination, he can go anywhere. Uh but then it kind of goes off the rails in this very mid seventies way. And suddenly uh, we've got all sorts of strange Muppets showing up uh, in uh, hallucinogenic ways. The, the Muppaphone uh, Muppets show up uh, just floating in the sky and singing. I was so pleased to see them liberated from their servitude (laughs) and flying. (laughs) Yeah. Flying been, upset me, but I was happy to see them free. <laughs> they've been tied down this whole time. Otherwise, they would have just floated up in the air like balloons. I just, it's the arrangement. It, it entirely comes down to the arrangement. And it's just mm-hmm. because it, it, it starts in a very sort of traditional to the song place. And then it goes to this sort of, you know, boppity ba ba place where. Muppaphones in the sky place. Muppaphones in the sky. And where it, it's going. F- quickly enough that the the lyrics start kind of running into each other right and also and, the quaaludes probably yeah it, it it all starts to blur together at a certain point we have a second clip i i had to i had to get droop in there but i did make a second clip where it gets more um okay good more interesting shall we say sure Living there you'll be free if you truly wish to be i sort of love it i mean the the instrumental break i'm not mad at it's just when it gets to the point where they're all singing and the words start like running into each other that i have a problem with it but no it reminds me of the people mover music from uh walt disney world so you know i i i can't beat mad at it from that standpoint it's just it's the songwriter in me that's like no these lyrics are meant to breathe yeah if this were an instrumental game show theme song i feel like we would all be all for it but it's not there are lyrics especially when the point is you know convincing droop that imagination is a good thing it is (laughs) the thing about droop first of all i knew uh I think David watched this first and he mentioned in our Slack that Droop made an appearance, but I still fully gasped when he appeared on my screen because <laughs> I didn't like know how featured he would be. But like the thing about Droop is he always looks at best, at worst sad and at best skeptical. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the appropriate stance. For sure. But I think, I think we're up. meant to believe that he has won over by the magic. Um, also, do you think that Benverine refused to do magic to do? I wonder if he wasn't allowed. Or wasn't allowed. Yeah, it just feels weird that he doesn't do like 
any of his signature songs. Anyway, um, or Heaven on Their Minds, or Jesus Christ Superstar. I would love to see that with Muppets. Right? Anyway. um, but Listeners, you do not need to send us the clip of the Muppets performing Jesus Christ Superstar. We've all heard it. We don't care for it. Thank you. Um, I kind (laughs) of like it, but it's weird and bad and wrong. Um, Anyway, it's yeah, like Droop's, Droop, I think Droop is meant to be won over, but his face never really registers more than, like, I'm no longer bored, but I am still deeply skeptical of everything that's happening around me, which I kind of love. I feel like Droop is the kind of Muppet that if they had just given him movable eyebrows, he would have had a much greater mm-hmm. and longer successful life. I I don't know. I liked this. This is, like, maybe my favorite part of the episode. There's something about... First of all, I love that they did not use the stock characters in this. Like that, this is not George and floating in the air and Mildred and right. Like it's weird. It's all these really weird Muppets, which is the point, right? It's this. It's 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 a drug trip, and it like it's colorful and it's bizarre and a little bit scary. And I like that about it. We talked in the Bruce Forsyth episode about the puppeteers wearing black on a black background. And this is chroma key, uh, which we would now call green screen. And it looks so much worse. Like it actually, it looks really bad and really mm-hmm. cheap and very 1970s. Like that part is, I don't like, but I don't know. I really like like how weird and trippy this is. I'm sad that you guys don't. I, I just I do need to mention the moment when Ben Vereen starts to cheer up group and he like, puts his face into Droop's snout and do they do this weird like Eskimo kiss thing. It is so unnerving to me. I thought it was adorable. I they made a seven nose thing. I made 17 gifts of Droop. So <laughs> go to the show notes and you all can decide for yourselves. Great. Hashtag Droop Troop. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Everyone's so lucky that we decided to call y'all Droop Troop and not Muppet Turds. <laughs> 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 anyway, if you like the Muppets and you like pure imagination, but you do not care for this version of the Muppets doing pure imagination, they did a new version in 2015 with Lindsay Sterling, who's one of those. Um, she's a, a violinist who dances while she plays. Uh, one of those, because that's apparently a genre. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, and Josh Groban, and that features like the 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 core Muppets. It's you know Kermit and Fozzie and Sweetums and Piggy and etc. <laughs> we'll have a, a clip of that in the show notes too. <laughs> Ready, three, two, one, fire! It is time once again for a shout out of a cannon, and I'll throw it first to our yay correspondent to see what we're up to with that evolution of Kermit's yay. Thanks, Michal. I'm here with our yay report for this week. Let's go to the clip. It's the Muppet Show with our special guest, star, Mr. Ben Marine. So as you can hear, this week is more of a woo. So although we've introduced the yay, we have not yet settled on yay as the signature yay. So uh, we're going to keep watching and we'll let you know what happens. Back to you, Michal. Watching and wooing. Uh, In other opening gags, uh, when Gonzo tries to smack the Muppet Show O with a mallet, Green Frackle pops up with another mallet and clocks Gonzo in the head. And I'm all for it. 
<laughs> I yeah. I have a, a question about the opening generally. This week I found myself paying attention to different things because I'm so terrified of the the dead Muppets with robot arms. Uh, <laughs> is there anywhere else to look? There, There is actually. Well, there are a couple of places. One is Wa- Wayne and Wanda get pride of place behind Kermit. And it's very strange. But also uh, Fozzie raises his arms up unusually high like we talked we talked about this yeah that like they're robot arms yeah but like to the point that they're like super stretched and it's like really upsetting like there's nowhere to look that isn't upsetting is my point yeah the robots don't look right his arms don't look right and wayne and wanda are in a prominent place (laughs) which is also i guess not right (laughs) do we need to talk about fozzy being a jerk and making fun of Gonzo in his opening I joke? I think we do, because it's two weeks in a row and I'm upset. Hey, I wouldn't say that the great Gonzo is dumb, but when he graduated from school, he didn't get a diploma, he got a pension. Also, I don't get that joke, but first first it was George <laughs> last week, then it was Gonzo this week. I don't like it. So again, you get a pension when you retire, so it means he, he was in school for a very long time. Oh, I see. Or he was a professor. I don't think that's what the joke yeah. Is. <laughs> well, they don't give you a pension for having studied at a school. <laughs> it was, it's particularly mean spirited in an episode where Gonzo almost doesn't appear. However, the one appearance he does get is kind of great because it's his revenge on Fozzie, and we can talk about it when we get to that point in discussing the backstage plot. So let's talk about the backstage plot. Hey, uh, for whatever reason, there is an enormous safe sitting backstage, even though it's for next week's show. There's a, a guest coming next week named Marvel the Magician. And uh, wouldn't you know it, Fozzie gets stuck inside the safe. And it's not that he's worried about uh, whether he's going to starve or how he's going to use the bathroom. <laughs> True to form, Fozzie freaks out about not being able to do his act in this week's Muppet Show. And true to the formula that we've already seen a few times, uh, he learns that his act is going to be cut and he's upset about it. But a Muppet show without Fozzie Bear? It's like Gilbert without Sullivan. Ham without cheese. Polka without Hauntas. Polka without Hauntas? Yeah. What's a polka? No, no, that's a polka. Will you guys get out of here? George dancing with Piggy was an unexpected pairing. <laughs> I like the suggestion that Fozzie is magic and just conjured those dancers and that music. I wish I could conjure a polka. Yeah. I wish I could conjure a janitor. (laughs) (laughs) What? Get out of show business? (laughs) There you you did it. Magic. There is a little portal style window that's still open in the safe. And at some point, Fozzie manages to get his face stuck in it, which is... Also pretty adorable, this little Pooh Bear situation (laughs) he says I'm stuck. We've also got a little B-plot or maybe more of a running gag, but uh, it is how Fozzie will eventually get out of the safe because Crazy Harry is especially trigger-happy today. We've got uh, the Muppets and Ben Vereen never, ever learning their lesson because every time they say dynamite or short fuse or getting a big charge or even the word blockbuster, did the word blockbuster ever imply explosions? Buster. I yes. I mean, I, not in real life, but I think that's the trigger. I feel 
<laughs> I would have liked for Chrissy Harry to show up and say blockbuster. I hardly explode her. I don't know. <laughs> I never kippled. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I've never dumpled. But it, it is also a, a cute secondary running gag that uh, every time Ben Vereen is around when that happens, he leaps up so high that he dangles from the rafters. I I was charmed by that. Something that this backstage plot makes clear, which is both good and upsetting, is how much of the Muppet show, meaning the in-universe show happening on their stage, we don't get to see. Because they talk about Mr. Marvel, is that his name? Mm -hmm. Uh, Marvel the Magician coming next week, but we will never get to see Marvel the Magician. There is no next week. And when Hilda's comforting Fozzie about, about the show being bad and then Gonzo and Scooter come on, talk about how Gonzo's act totally killed it. We never got to see Gonzo's great act. So there's so much Muppet excellence that is being left to our imagination, which, you know, on the one hand, good, but also like, I want to see an excellent Gonzo act. That's true. On on our Muppet show, I appreciated this backstage plot felt very zippy. You, you mentioned that up top, David, and... Um, did not it felt like it built on itself as opposed to some of the past ones that have felt like the, each scene was repeating itself a little bit. Also, that I think all these scenes were very short, which I appreciated. This is a good backstage plot, I thought. Agreed. Yeah. So we have a Muppet News Flash, which is a, a long walk to just a depressing joke where a man flagpole sits for so long that he dies and his wife says she will fly him at half mast. It takes a long time to tell that joke. Really does. Um, yeah. We've got at the dance, and you know what? They tell some pretty dang good jokes today. You know, I uh, picked up a hitchhiker the other day. Oh, really? Yes, well, it's only right. I was the one who knocked him down. <laughs> tell me, do you like bathing beauties? I don't know. I've never bathed one. <laughs> You know, last week my cousin was seen on television by 30 million people. Oh, what is he, a rock star? No, a football. <laughs> Every time we learn new information about Mildred, I am intrigued about that her she dark, dark life. Either runs over hitchhikers or just punches them until they fall down. Mm -hmm. I don't believe for a second that Zoot has never bathed a beauty. I mean, we've seen you know, him dancing with Janice pretty consistently. Then again, it was the 70s. I don't know what people were up to. We get some Muppet body horror. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we've got a little, I've got my eye on you. <laughs> and uh, finally, we have been blessed with another Loud Lady appearance. Herman, today I auditioned as an announcer for a TV show. Yeah, but they didn't hire me. You know why? Because I'm a woman. That's why. Discrimination! Are you listening to me? <laughs> what kind of a program was it? Sermonette! <laughs> I love her so much. And I don't know what Sermonette is, so I've been assuming that it's like Raisinettes, but with sermons. Or maybe the Ronettes. Wait, didn't we look this up? Yeah, but I didn't click on the link you sent. <laughs> so it's, it's, I, I just want like to enjoy like... my ignorance and assume that it's Raisinettes, but with sermons. Well, it, it's what it sounds like. It's like a little sermon. It's like, you know, little uh, spiritual uplift. I feel spiritually uplifted by the loud lady already. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, this this little bit, as much as we love the loud lady, is like so dripping with misogyny and oh every God. twist and turn. Uh, the idea that like a like a woman couldn't be inspiring because she's loud and abrasive. Like, I'm sorry, have you ever met a rabbi? It's, oh, <laughs> it just seems like the easier joke would have been like librarian. <laughs> Right, they do right. make a librarian joke with her, with her at some point. Oh, that's right. They've already made that joke. Right, it's just weird. Golf announcer. I, I don't know. I just right. like I, there's the the thing that struck me as more misogynistic was the um her complaining about misogyny uh because it it just struck me as you know dismissive. Am I still allowed to love her even though all the jokes are at her expense? Oh yes. yes. Oh okay, yeah. Good. I also love that earlier in this episode, after the jump and jive number, as the dancers are filing off stage, one of them speaks with the loud lady's voice. And I just, it was like a little taste of what's to come. (laughs) A little loud lady tease. I know we're also so anxious to talk about our favorite part of the show. All right. All right. Here we go. So in the talk spot, uh, Ben Vereen is there talking with Kermit and they're talking about how important your body is and how important it is to keep in shape. And I know that even though we're only in the first season, we already have this grand tradition of Kermit flirting with the guest star. And Ben Vereen is talking about himself as a dancer and how important his body is as a dancer. And even though I too am a dancer, I have no idea how conversational flirting works. I only know how dancely flirting works. I just twirl at people and flash my calves at them and hope they notice me. But okay, help me out here. Are Kermit and Ben Vereen flirting? Why? Ben, you're just a bundle of energy. <laughs> yeah, well, as a dancer, I, I, I try to keep in shape. You know? Oh, you're telling me. I, I've seen you dancing on Broadway and television and movies. Why, you must work out a lot, huh? <laughs> yeah, well, yes. So I don't think they're flirting, but Given that we have clocked all the times that Kermit is kind of a creep to the woman guest stars, I appreciate that Kermit is being kind of a creep with a dude. <laughs> I don't think Kermit's being a creep here. I think Kermit is desperately trying to get a handle on a conversation where one of the members is stoned out of his mind. Also true. <laughs> but, but before anything happened, well, we don't see what happened, you know, before they edit with, you know, who knows what happened before this started, but. Kermit's being a little weird about a guest body and Ben seems uncomfortable, perhaps because he is stoned out of his mind, but it just seemed, sure? a little, it seemed egalitarian to me. Are you sure there's no more behind like is asking, so you must work out a lot. Is, is there anything behind that? Is, is, do you work out like some kind of euphemism? Like, do you, uh, you know, I mean, it's definitely a euphemism in some circles. But yeah, Sure. I don't think that that's what Jim Henson was going for, but, I, I, I think it's. To, I think they're just setting up the gag that he is so athletic that he can jump up and, and yeah. land in the rafters. I mean, yes, we just need to find the subtext. Yes. <laughs> Honestly, I spent this entire bit distracted because Kermit says, I've seen you dancing on Broadway. And it just <laughs> led me to thinking about Kermit going to the box office and being like, one seat in the mezzanine for Pippin, please. And... Yeah, so I didn't clock any of this. <laughs> I mean, uh, he will later tell Ethel Merman that he was at the opening night of Gypsy. 
Which wait, really? <laughs> Yes. Well, this is answering my questions about how old he is when he keeps calling everybody a young man. So I, you know, this is great. You're solving a problem that I've been having. Um, I just am going to because we're consistently pedantic. Um, he jumps and winds up in the flies, not the rafters. It's not a barn. It's a theater. Fair. Thank you. Um, Appreciate you. I'm here to be an asshole. Um, no, no, no. That's good. That's but, good. Yeah. No. I mean, no. He is super strung out. You're right. Um, <laughs> Or, or, or <laughs> we're getting pedantic. Or, 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 I mean, or else, like, to not accuse him of anything, like, at, at, at best, he's bored. Like, Ben Vereen does not seem interested in this conversation for whatever reason. He seems like he's having a hard time following the logic of the conversation, which, granted, I did too, but I think that's his fault. <laughs> sure. I mean, it's a very contrived conversation. He tells Kermit he needs to be able to go into a leap with great explosive power, and then Crazy Harry sets off an explosion because whenever anybody says explosion, his sixth sense goes off, and then next thing you know, Ben Vereen is clinging to... Sorry, it wasn't the rafters. The flies. <laughs> the flies, thank you. I mean... Maybe Ben Vereen, too, was imagining Kermit going, one seat in the mezzanine for Pippin, please. <laughs> <laughs> and he Have we talked about, like, what Crazy Harry is doing there? Like, why why do they let him stay at the theater? Pyro? And what? why do they keep saying explosion? And why did he so often set off the explosion in Statler and Waldorf's box instead of, like, on the stage? These are all pressing questions. I have concerns about the logic in the pyrotechnic character. But not about, like, talking frogs. That's fine. No, that's totally fine. Uh, mm-hmm. I really like Ben's outfit <laughs> in the top spot. In an episode where he wears a lot of beige. Uh, the cut of it would not fly today, but I quite like the colors. Just felt needs to say something positive. <laughs> you said the cut of it would not fly. I wanted to ask what the fly of it cut. <laughs> I want to know if the cut of it would rafter. (laughs) (laughs) We are here at Veterinarian's Hospital at what we have been assured by the wiki is the last time that you'll see Richard Hunt as Miss Piggy. So that's something to appreciate. No shade to Richard Hunt. He's doing a lovely job. It's just not right. Anyway. We've uh, got Frank Oz being uh, busy as George the janitor in the role of the patient here. And Dr. Bob is making some top-notch, terrible jokes. Dr. Bob, the patient is sinking. Well, I wonder what he is sinking about. (laughs) Well, laugh it up, nurse. These are the jokes. Dr. Bob, you've given this hospital a bad name. You're right. Fred is a terrible name for a hospital. I'll have to give it a better name. How about Eunice? <laughs> I love those. They're both my favorite line of the episode. <laughs> this was the veterinarian's hospital sketch that was on the Muppet record that I had growing up. So to me, this is like the urtext of veterinarian's hospital. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And I love that, that as they often do, nurses, Piggy and Janice, and here along with George as the patient, they all keep groaning at the jokes. And then uh, George is supposed to die, although he does wake up to groan at another terrible joke. (laughs) Um, While Rolf practices his bongos on George's body, (laughs) while the nurses just dance around like this is a totally normal thing to do. They've been groaning at all the jokes and telling Dr. Bobby's doing a terrible job. But when it comes to playing bongos, they just want to dance. 
I really like the energy of this episode. Moving right along. <laughs> There's a talking houses spot. My uncle's into poetry. He loves Edgar Guest. Why? Why else? He's a guest house. <laughs> That's the joke. That's the whole segment. Curtains close. Oh, were any of you familiar with Edgar Guest? No. No. Can anyone name an Edgar Guest poem? No. Can you? No, no. I, I didn't even know for sure he was a real person until just now when I Googled him. And I do think why is a strange response to that statement. I mean, you're a house. You know what's coming. I mean, yeah, sure. And I don't, you know, far be it for me to shit on the setup of a joke on a talking house spot. <laughs> but I just, we, you know, I really like Robert Frost. Why? What <laughs> a strange thing to say. Because you're a frost house? Because my windows aren't insulated. <laughs> <laughs> Igloo would make sense. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> there's a, a quick blackout joke. Uh, they're in front of the blackout curtain. Ben gives Hilda a little kiss on the hand, and he says that he's getting a big charge out of being on the show, which, of course, uh, brings out Crazy Harry, and he ends up again in the flies. <laughs> and Ben Vereen then does... Uh, say he's getting a bit tired of this, where perhaps he is speaking for the audience, because we've had a lot of crazy hairy jokes already in this episode. <laughs> and we've got Fozzie's comedy. There's great news for Fozzie. Kermit has decided not to cut him after all. So a couple of pigs in those little maroon suits they all wear, they drag this giant green safe out on stage, and Fozzie tries to do a very truncated version of his shtick. And he doesn't last for very long, and it would be hard to get this across to you in an audio clip because you don't even see Fozzie. There's a lot of determination and terror that comes across in his voice. But I love that you're just watching this giant safe sitting on stage and telling jokes while wearing a little Fozzie hat. And then get <laughs> yanked off stage again, and Kermit says, come out and take a bow, and gets yanked back on stage. And they tip over the safe a little bit, and you can hear Fozzie reacting. <laughs> I found this very entertaining. It's it's a it's a good payoff to the backstage plot, and they um the sound design's really nice too. That like they they put him in the box somehow and vocally. You know what? I mean? Let me yeah. say that again. The sound design <laughs> that means sense. Okay, great. I won't say it again. Mm-hmm. The hat is such a great touch. I love it. <laughs> and so this finally resolves in the little goodbye segment where Kermit is thinking Ben Vereen and Fozzie reappears, and we learn that he has been liberated from the safe by crazy Harry's explosion. And there's this really sort of weird exchange where he's like, it's okay. It didn't hurt. I mean, only a little bit. Like it's just, (laughs) it's very, very, I mean, it's just Frank riffing, but it's, it's odd. It is cute. How Fozzie is more childlike than a lot of the Muppets. He says that it hurt a little bit, but he's okay. Earlier when Kermit was trying to tell him, don't go in the safe. And Fozzie says, it's okay. I'm a big bear. (laughs) it's very good we've come to the end of our discussion anyone have closing thoughts see you babushka thanks for listening to this episode of Muppeturgy join us next week for our discussion of the Phyllis Diller episode you can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Muppeturgy or on the web at Muppeturgy.com if you like this, leave a rating or review if you don't like this Shut up! Our theme music was composed and performed by Christy Bauer. Our show logo was created by Todd Bryant Backus, and this episode was edited, as always, by me, David Levy.
it's so interesting to me that Sam's voice is so different from Piggy's voice, even though they're both Frank Oz. Like I have a hard time hearing any Piggy and Sam and vice versa, but I can hear Yoda and Sam and I can hear Yoda and Piggy. And so there's like a continuum where Sam is on one end and Yoda's in the middle and Piggy's on the other. And I don't know what to make of that. I have not had any drugs. <laughs> you make a graph that has a spectrum of Frank Oz voices and you place everybody on the spectrum and then you put it on Instagram, I think. Because like Fozzie and Grover are definitely between Yoda and Piggy, right? Yes. I mean, Grover, so, Grover and Yoda are really close. On yeah. That. Right here, I think. That's- Grover's between Yoda and Piggy, I think. Yeah, but and then Fozzie would be between Grover and Piggy. Yes. But then it, who's between Yoda and Sam? And where is Animal? This is well, getting that's, tricky. That's the answer. Animal is there. Animal. That's where Animal goes. Mm-hmm. This got weird. Oh, and, and Cookie Monster is on that side of the spectrum as well. On the Yoda side. Like, well, on the on the Sam side. Mm-hmm. I think I'm sorry, you're gonna have to chart this out for me. It's it's I'm much too tired to follow this conversation. 